Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Intracasso. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor. Go give us a great rating on iTunes. It helps us a bunch. Seriously, if you've been listening to the Tome Show but paying nothing for it, go give us a great review. It seriously, seriously helps us out. And I will read a new five-star review every episode verbatim. Make me say anything you want in your review. Uh, but keep it clean, people. This is a family D&D news podcast. Today's five-star review is entitled The Best D&D Podcast, and it comes from B-H-D-H-J-W-J-E-E-I. Uh, uh, well, thank you so much for leaving this review. I am sorry that I cannot pronounce your name probably the way you want it to be pronounced, but this review says every episode is full of analysis of the current state of D&D with unbiased opinion. That's right, you're in the no-spin zone. Take your D&D to the next level. Listen to the Tome Show. Thank you so much, B-H-D-H-J-W-J-E-E-I. You left us a review, and it is amazing. Thank you for listening, and I want to see some more five-star reviews out there, people. Please use the affiliate links at thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. Okay, everybody, today we have a packed panel full of awesome stuff. We are talking about some Volo's Guide Adventurers League stuff that we have going on and an Unearthed Arcana article about barbarians. Unearthed Arcana is going to be hitting you hard because they're doing it like once a week, it sounds like, for uh, the foreseeable future. So it'll be cool to see a lot of that new player playtest content coming your way. Um, But first, let's meet our panel and kick things off with our get-to-know-you question, what is your favorite new monster in Volo's Guide to Monsters? And Topher Cohan. Eh? Eh? Uh-huh. Right on, right on. Uh, <laughs> we'll start with you. All right, well, there's so many fantastically great things in this book. Uh, but I have to say, the flail snail. <laughs> Sink that in, people. There's a flail snail. <laughs> it's got to be the best. It's a snail that has a flail for a head. How great is that? <laughs> and here's the best part. It leaves this like glisteningly clear sludge behind it that once it's dried, you can cut it in and use it as glass. <laughs> so Which not is... only will your players have to fight and kill a snail that has a flail, but then you can really hook them by saying, well, you could probably harvest this stuff and sell it, which keeps them there for lots and lots of more random encounters to kill them. Because that's really what I'm all about. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And they have a weird prismatic shell. They are definitely one of the weirder D&D creatures. I'm glad you picked the flail snail. And back with us is Joe Lestowski. Joe, welcome back. What is your favorite creature in Volo's Guide to Monsters? Oh boy, I had such a tough uh, choice with this one. Uh, because first off, there's new dinosaurs in this book. And that's always a, including a dinosaur species that previously wasn't a dinosaur species and very recently got re-added to the official species list, the Brontosaurus. Uh, however, what I think I'm going to have to go with is the uh, the exploding orcs. When a plague sweeps through an orcish tribe, the orcs that don't get better are all uh, like surrounded by the priests of Yurtris, the orcish god of plague, and the plague gets worse in these ones, and then they run at their enemies, and when they die, they explode into uh, poisonous disease stuff, and they infect all the PCs. And that's just... 
that's cool from a from a flavor standpoint. Uh, but it also reminded me a lot of some of the uh, upon death mechanics that used to happen in fourth edition with enemies, uh, specifically the uh, the orcs that were in the Attack of the Tyrant Claw adventure, which when they died, they got an extra standard action to attack one more time. And so it was almost like, a, oh, do we want to kill them? Because then they'll get to charge us. And same with these guys. Do you want to kill them? Because then they'll explode and, and give you diseases. So it changes sort of the tactical understanding of how do we approach this. You don't want to necessarily get somebody surrounded by these guys because then he's going to get hit with all these exploding poison things. And, and so it's a... Uh, it's just an interesting way to sort of shift the battlefield around and give people more to think about, which I always appreciate uh, when, you know, players get bored of the same combat every single time. And, and I think this book in general did a lot to give more flavors to enemies that used to just sort of be palette swaps of another, like, oh, it attacks against your AC and does this damage. And now they've got cool flavor things. And the, uh, the orc nurtured one of your is is a prime example of that. Nice, nice, yeah. Yeah, that is one of the things that I love about Volo's Guide is there's a lot of monsters in the monster manual that we get these amazing twists on, um, you know, new new types of those monsters. Uh, and also back at the round table is, of course, Daniel Franco. Daniel, welcome back. What is your favorite monster in Volo's Guide? Hoi, chummers. Well, it's glad to be back. Um, well, my daughter really likes beholders. Every time she opened the book, she'd point at a beholder and then flip the pages. But um, I actually liked the Devourer, I think it's called. I don't have the book. I let one of my players borrow it to look at the new races. But it was the Devourer that was really cool, just to do like, this necrotic thing, and then could take someone's soul, uh, someone that's died, and then recharge their ability. I thought that was really cool and kind of a very intimidating sight, as well as the um, the new Knolls, because I did a, um, like, a Out of the Abyss one-off beatdown where I had the part... Uh, random players just uh, fight Yenigov, but it, it's sour just because it's like, alright, I have Knolls and Pack Knolls who are challenge rating 4, and most of them are like high tier 2, tier 3, so I'm like, <laughs> you know, well, I'm just gonna ignore that, and they'll fight Yenigov. So it's cool to see flying, like, oh, I could have used them. That would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's great, right? High-level mind flares, high-level all kinds of good stuff that you can sort of extend a campaign a little further now, which is great, without having them fight, like, 60 hyenas and gnolls, uh, and it'll just take forever. Yeah, I'm, I am on board with that for sure. Uh, and new to the roundtable is my friend who i just met before this podcast uh love his product he works on battle bards um is a great great man named alex jarzabinski alex welcome to the round table before we hear about your favorite monster in volos tell the people out there a little bit about your own history with tabletop role-playing games and, and what you do right now sure well thanks james thanks for that amazing intro and uh thanks so much for inviting me um Gaming has been a central part of my life for a very long time. I've been a GM for 25 years, starting yeah. with the old blue box uh, and uh, leading all the way, obviously, to 5th edition. Uh, and I've been extensively using audio in my games for 20 years. Uh, the longest single concurrent campaign that I'm running is actually one that I'm running now, the Wizard of the Rose Epic Campaign, which is on its sixth year. So gaming is just, a, you know, tabletop gaming, D&D, Pathfinder. It's just, um, it's a core of my passion. And I, um, I with some fellow friends, we're making a career out of it. So Battle Bards, if you haven't heard, is a premium provider of premium audio. And 
the tools to actually make the use of audio in gaming seamless. So we've created a soundboard, a mixer, um, a platform to be able to organize the audio uh, that you're looking for in a very concise way. And we are recently releasing an online player. So those of you who enjoy playing your games through virtual tabletops or Skype or Google, whatever happens to be, we now are going to be releasing a player where the DM can stream audio to everybody all over the world. Uh, we have a large library. I think we're up to 1,300 tracks consisting of music, sound effects, soundscapes, voiceovers, you name it. Um, and it's all very, very cool. So I should probably sound less of a pitch man. We're, we're very excited what we do. We hope that um, you just uh, check it out. Uh, you can preview everything we got for free. Just lets you guys register and kind of go from there. But yeah, gaming. This is my passion. In fact, I'm, I'm a little... Uh, so wiping the cobwebs from my eyes, uh, we were up late uh, uh, carrying on that campaign. Nice, nice. Well, it's great to have you. Thank you for joining us after a late night of gaming. Uh, and if our listeners out there use Roll20 like I do, your sounds are integrated into the table so they can get a preview of what's to offer there as well. It's really, really great stuff. Uh, I've been using it in my games and my players love it too. But let's... Go right now to Volo's Guide, my friend. What is your yep. favorite new monster in Volo's Guide? Alex? Sure. So I, I will admit I haven't had a chance to flip through the book. Um, I have get some bits and pieces some uh, from some other friends, and I had I had heard of the Flail Snail, and that just that that tickled me in such a way. Uh, Wizards has such a unique creativity of just kind of making these really unique and kind of sometimes some tongue in cheek monsters. And that I gotta tell you, I haven't had a chance to pour through the stats yet, but uh, that that really got me. Um, so thanks so much for Cohen to bring that up. Kind of stole <laughs> my thunder, but uh, I'm sticking <laughs> Sorry, with uh, no, no worries, man. I'm sticking with Flail Snail. That that got me. <laughs> but what I'm really also glad that uh, what Volo's Guide is doing is really providing some additional takes of the monsters that we first saw in the Monster Manual. Um, now that we're seeing, obviously, as many people know, where as we're transitioning from 3.5. Really, you know, fourth edition kind of didn't get a whole lot of acceptance. So it's really a lot of people who are playing 3.5 or Pathfinder to fifth edition. Now that we don't have a lot of the level up uh, options for monsters, we don't have templates for monsters. You know, we're going to need a constant stream of variations of these kind of hardwired examples of monsters so i'm really glad that there's a healthy amount of that that's something that's going to get a lot of use in game well i am excited to talk to you guys all today about uh volo's guide to monsters and the adventurers league so uh we're going to kick it off first uh there is a free document available on the dms guild there's a link in the show notes over at the tomeshow.com to this document if you want to follow along for us uh volo's guide to monsters that means uh if if you have the book you probably know that there are all of these great new monstrous races that can be added to your game as player races, PC races, right? And the AL is allowing all of these races uh, to be playable, except uh, that some of them, uh, in fact, most of them, I would say, have some sort of 
faction restriction, right? They, they, if they're going to belong to a faction, they have to belong to one of these factions listed under them. Uh, for instance, the, uh, the Asimar race must belong to the Harpers, Order of the Gauntlet, or the Lord's Alliance. Uh, the Fearbolg must belong to the Harpers or the Emerald Enclave. Uh, orcs have to belong to the Order of the Gauntlet, Emerald Enclave, or Zentarum, that sort of thing. Uh, so I want to kick it off. Joe Listowski, what do you think of this development for the Adventurers League? Well, I think it was necessary because I think a lot of faction stuff, at least in my experiences in organized play uh, at the, the places where I've run, a lot of people have not really cared about factions. It's been just a complex thing that doesn't really give them much of a benefit, and they didn't want to pay attention to where the faction quests were to go up in your ranking in the faction because the faction quests often didn't manifest in a lot of the earlier adventures. And so people had just kind of forgotten about factions, so I think it if they want factions to be an important thing, it definitely brings that back to the forefront. I wish they had given us more story explanations as to what these different races do in the factions. Like, the Kenku can go into the Zentarum. Are they respected in the Zentarum? Are they just let in and then used as slaves? Are they, you know, like, what what is their role in the organization of the Zentarum? Why is, you know, I want to, I want more story. Uh, but I, I do think that that, that was a, an interesting choice. Um, I'm a little concerned from a balance standpoint because I know in previous racial releases like the Aarakocra were not allowed because they had uh, a flying speed and same thing with the winged tieflings from the uh, Sword Coast Adventures Guide. Yes, yes, thank you. Uh, the tiefling variant that had the flight also wasn't allowed, but the Asimars, which can get flight, are totally fine. Uh, and that seemed... Interesting. I'm, I'm curious if this is a, a change in, in balance or, or if they've got other reasons for, for allowing that. But we'll, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. I'm not, I'm not going to say one way or the other whether it's awful, but, uh, but I think it's interesting. And, and I think definitely to bring more focus onto the factions, this was a good choice. Nice. Yeah, I, I think it's a good choice as well to sort of uh, play up the factions. Uh, Topher, how about you? What do you think? Uh, I think this was brilliant. I mean, I have been more than once critical of some of the choices that the Adventures League has made. Uh, and I think this was brilliant. I think the way they handled this, the way they took this, what I think is an incredibly great and well-written book and gave it some guardrails to allow DMs to work it into a construct of, of Adventures League. So these players can now build these characters and do these things, but not become min-maxers. Mm-hmm. And when they take them stuff elsewhere, that they can still be the balance, which is really, 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 really gotcha. Um, that way, the things work out really, really well. I Joe, uh, just a quick note though, but the they haven't changed the rules on flying, as far as I can tell. The the new race, quote unquote, it gets flying for short periods of time. It can't fly at will. Oh, I gotcha. Okay, okay. So it's it's more of a feat it can do, like like, like a rage or a a, uh, a frenzy. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. That that works the justification for me. I've spent a way more time than anyone who can spell their own name in Reddit and Facebook threads about this document for this <laughs> book. Um, so <laughs> uh, I've had lots of really lots and lots of people um, kind of pick it apart. I think James, this is what they had to do if they wanted this book to be AL legal. And I think that the admins and the, the powers that be eventually stepped up and. And hit a home run with this document. I'm with Jay, Joe. I wish there was a little more fluff around it to tell us why and what their place is. But that's okay that there's not, too, because it, it kind of gives – it doesn't take that away from the DM. 
Sure, sure. Right. Yeah, it's and, not so restrictive by by being so open. That makes sense. Right, and I think that they really hit a home run with this. I'm I'm super impressed. Nice, nice. Uh, Daniel, what about you? You also play in the Adventurers League, right? Uh, so what do you think about this? Uh, these restrictions? Well, the first thing, Zentarum, that they're the most welcoming faction. They accept <laughs> everybody. <laughs> yeah, everybody's um, got Zentarum underneath them, it seems like. I think it's fine. I mean, I run a lot of online and stuff like that, so... It's it is definitely cool that there was... I like those story blurbs on each of them, why... I thought it was fine. Yeah, I think it is good that it brings more factions into focus. Like everyone's been saying, I kind of echo, agree with all that. It's it's good just because for a while I, I have so many players, especially running like roll twenty or new players. What's your faction? I don't have one because they're dumb. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> and sure. then what's downtime days? Oh, it's cool for factions or stuff. No thanks or <laughs> renown. Right. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Uh, Alex, how about you? Uh, do you play in the Adventurers League uh, ever? And if so, what do you think of this? If not, what do you think of this? Yeah, no, great question. So, uh, man, I hate to age myself, um, <laughs> but I kind of participated in the very brief living Greyhawk campaign world, which was oh, yeah. kind of the predecessor to this a really long time ago. Um, haven't had a chance. You could imagine I don't have as much time as I would like uh, to play Adventures League. But, you know, this is something I, I'd love to get back into, especially with my experience with Living Greyhawk. So what do I really like? I got to say, as a big fan of Forgotten Realms, um, you know, it, it, taking a, a step back, I think what are, what are some of the reasons that Forgotten Realm has really been able to create such a cult following? Um, and I don't think it's, it, I mean, R.A. Salvatore with some of his great work that he's done for that has been uh, wonderful, but what you have with Forgotten Realms is such a deep universe. You have these factions that have so much material to dive into. What I am thrilled is that Wizards is really making a really concerted effort to bring that well thought out. That I mean, this material that has a decade plus of material behind it, bringing it out into 5th edition in such an aggressive way because there is so much amazing stuff to explore um, where now I could see volumes of, you know, dedicated to all the major cities where we're going to have Waterdeep and Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter Nights, you know, that's really going to come into the fold in a very big way in 5th. That's what got me really excited and really bringing out the the more metropolitan f uh, feel for uh, you know, Forgotten Realms, where we're really bringing in a lot of the monstrous races as options for PC races. That's something that kind of harkens back to my old uh, Forgotten Realms days. So I'm, I'm thrilled to really see that come back in in full force. Nice, nice. So it sounds like everybody is pretty positive on this. I've seen, uh, you know, on social media and stuff, some people mad about the restrictions and stuff. But I think this speaks well to like, you know, we're, we're going to see more use of the factions, like you said. And I think it helps justify why certain races that perhaps people have been fighting against uh, in other Adventures League adventures, why you might suddenly find them as heroes now. Uh, you know, it's it's a good story justification. And remember that in 
organized play. Uh, we're playing in a shared world. Everybody has to have a story that that makes sense. And this is the Adventurers League way of saying like. This is how these monsters make sense in this world. And to me, I think that's a great way to do it. And, you know, a lot of these monsters, like three different options for orcs is, is really cool, you know, to, and, and they're all these different factions. So I love that. Um, moving on, we're actually going to talk about In Volo's Wake. So In Volo's Wake is uh, really a collection of six one-hour mini-adventures for first-level characters that is uh, an Adventurers League adventure that's going to be exclusive in stores. Uh, this is typical what you see at the start of a season normally. Uh, Sean Merwin, who works on all of those adventures that get broken up into mini-adventures, uh, he worked on this along with two other writers who they found on the DM's Guild, uh, a woman named Monica Valentinelli, and a man uh, who is named Rich Lescaflair. Uh Rich, I am very sorry if I butchered your last name there. Um, so there are these uh, these mini adventures that are available for people. Again, it's uh, it's just for in store play at least at the moment, and uh, you know may go somewhere afterwards. Uh, but nothing has been said or confirmed about that. So why don't we start with you, Topher? Uh, you know we have often. Uh, bemoaned the lack of store content, exclusive in-store content. Uh, what do you think about uh, these six mini-adventures uh, in Volo's Wake? I think they're great. I think this is exactly a way to kick off a book. I think it, it allows the store to highlight that there's new products out. I think that they're fun. I'm super excited that they pulled in adventure writers that they called from... The DMs Guild, which is what they said they were always going to do. So that's pretty fantastic that they they get to put Monica and Rich front and center in front of lots of players. I think I'm I, I like it. I like it a lot. Now I'm going to sound like the kid who gets what he wants for Christmas, but isn't quite happy because <laughs> this makes me sad because it reminds me of how far we've how much things have changed. Uh. And how we used to get these launch day events and they were, you know, there was rewards for the DMs and stuff for the players. And it was, it was an event. It was a thing. You, you got to go to your store and play this. We know good and well, this is going to be up on DMs Guild in a couple of weeks or months or whatever. And everybody and their grandma's going to be able to play it. Right. The, the launch days was a thing you had. To, I remember going, I remember going to Raven's Nest, James, going out of my way to go up there with, with some of my players on the Saturday to play the launch day for a fourth edition book. And it was cool. And they had a special map and the DM got a special gift. And it was, it was, it was a thing. And that's that, that part makes me sad that that part of the, of the organized play for Dungeons and Dragons seems to be dead and put to bed. That said, again, this is fantastic. I do like the fact that they they finally call out that the one hour, quote unquote, for six main adventures is a little bit of falsity. They're really built for two hours. So if you are if your store is thinking of playing this, make sure you have enough time. But I like this a lot. It's a great intro adventure to get your players in and playing some adventure league stuff. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Nice. Uh, and how about you, Daniel? Where do you do? It sounds like you do a lot of your playing online, right? You're kind of uh, uh, there on Roll20 and that sort of thing. Uh, so what do you think about In Volo's Wake? Oh, actually, I run at my store, too, and hey, I have to be that says correction. It is first through fourth level. Good, sir. 
Yes, that is true. And some of the adventures, right, are are for the tier one of Adventurers League. So that is a a good correction to have. Some are made for third level. Some are optimized for for other levels. So good good call. Good call there. Uh, well, it is good just because I know for my store, I'm kind of the guy that gets pretty much. I handle the tier one adventures. So this is great. So when I have like random players pop in and out for the times I can go to my store and run. Oh, this is really good because I can just, all right, we can do Volo's Wake. We can do this session, this session, and I haven't seen you in a couple weeks, so we'll redo it again because you weren't there for the first part. So it is really nice little um, digestible bits, especially since I only run two hours at the store. So, you know, these are good at least for a few weeks to kind of space it out until the next release of another module for the season. Nice. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. These mini adventures are great for stores uh, because people only often have a couple of hours, uh, maybe even just an hour to play. So these are quick to pull out and they're great uh, material for when your players run off the rails or something. You can pull those out and say, OK, we're going you're going over there, huh? Well, it turns out there's some knolls and, and throw down a, another adventure, which is great. Uh, how about you, Alex? What do you think about Involo's Wake? Yeah, no, um, I, you know, looking through it right now, I got to tell you, I'm really liking what I'm reading from a composition standpoint. Um, for those players who maybe are coming off of playing Port of the Dragon Queen and the Rise of Tiamat, this strikes me as, and this is especially great for Adventures League, this strikes me as a, a gentler way of really kind of starting a campaign. You're not kind of thrown into a b boiling pot as you are in Horde of the Dragon Queen. There's a little bit more uh, elbow room to do some, you know, RP when you first get started and then start kind of choosing your way forward. So really like that aspect. Uh, on a technical aspect, I love the attention that they're really spending on scaling. And that is such a value add to DMs where on the fly they could do a lot of scaling depending on what group they get uh, for Adventures League that day. So on a technical uh, point, wonderful. <laughs> The writing is top-notch as, as usual. Each character feels like they really have a, an attribute to really uh, lean into as a DM. So uh, obviously, as we know, you know, as, as, as DMs, as we're helping to create this world, this fantasy world, it helps to have an archetype or a main characteristic to lean on to help really make that character memorable, organic and salient to the game. So really like this, um, this, the, the strong archetypes are presented in, in this game. Yeah, that is really, really cool. And I think that's a, a, a good point, right? The content itself is super great content that you're getting. I really hope people do uh, go out to their game stores and, uh, and, and play this because it is going to be a good time. Uh, turn now to the one and only Joe Lestowski, one of the biggest advocates for in-store play that I know, uh, and uh, and a man who works at a, a game store himself, uh, doing a lot of Adventurers League organizing uh, and and really leading the charge. So, Joe, for all your great work, uh, what do you think of In Volo's Wake? This is exactly what I wanted, and I think it feels like it was specifically designed to help bring more people into stores. Uh, let me explain a little bit. So the entire adventure is set in Phandalin, which is the town in the starter set, uh, which starter set is sort of the inroad to D&D &D for a new player. 
a new player walks into the store and they don't want to spend $150 buying all three of the core books, they buy the starter set for 20 bucks and they've got D&D and they, they can start playing. And so this is a great way to take those people and show them, hey, look at all this cool other stuff. Maybe you want to buy another book. Maybe you want to buy this Volo's book. Maybe you want to buy the player's handbook so you have more options to face these monsters. Maybe, you know, so that's that's really great, I think. Uh, it adequately uses uh, many of the low-level monsters in Volo's uh, in sort of different adventures around the town, but it also gives you uh, sort of starting points for adventures, uh, you know, longer campaigns. Uh, so if people are like, oh, I really like the... I don't want to spoil a lot of it, but, you know, there's different if they, they really like the oh, this thing had these these lower level monsters. Let's go and see if there's other things over there. And then you can have the higher level things come at them. Uh, you know, if they go in that direction, it can get people excited about the different possibilities of different monster types. And I think really it's just a, a great adventure for priming new players or people that are newer to this edition of D&D for being excited about D&D. And that's really what stores need. Uh, to help sell product and to help get more people playing the game. Yeah, yeah. So again, very, very positive feedback. I think for this adventure, which is uh, is a really, really good thing to hear. Uh, Topher, go ahead. So I agree with Joe 100. percent The tie into the uh, the beginner's box or the the starter set or whatever they want to call it was fantastic. I do wish, and I understand why. I really, really understand why. I wish it, there was a little more tie-in to the current season, Storm King Thunder, so that you could use this as a ramp-on to get players, another way to ramp-on to get players into that adventure. I, I kind of wish it was a little tied in. I, I get why. I'm not, let me be very clear, not upset about it. I'm with Joe. This is a great way to hook players who may have gotten the, especially with the holidays coming, may have gotten the D&D starter set or the beginner's box. Because you've all, you know, D&D's cool again and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's fantastic. But I really wish there was at least some flavor text that the wizard did give us some flavor text that said, hey, if you want to add this, here's some things you can do. I, that's just my two cents on that. Uh, Joe? Well, I think uh, in Storm King's Thunder, there's a whole uh, little mini thing uh, that explains how to get people in at different levels of the Storm King's Thunder campaign. And I think it wouldn't be too hard to just stick this in as any one of those, uh, oh, you can bring them in once they're level four at this point, and, and here's how the story relates to that, and they tell you how to do it to some of the previous other seasons. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to alter what they say there uh, in order to get people in there. I, I They don't specifically spell it out, but I think when Storm King's Thunder came out, they didn't know that this was happening. So I, I think th there's definitely options there. I don't feel like you're just floating in, in nothingness with no way to, to uh, connect people. But, but I, I do, uh, in general, I like the, the ways that the D&D printed products seem to be uh, giving us options to tie things together in different ways. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think you're both making good points there. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, who knows, maybe there could be something that, that comes out later on the Wizards website or on the Adventurers League website that is about 
tying it in not just to this, but maybe to some other seasons to get people on boarded. Because we do discuss giants in Volo's Guide. They have a whole lower section devoted to them, and there's all kinds of new uh, storm and stone, and the rest of the giants all have like a new type that you can throw into Storm King's Thunder and stuff. So I think that is a, a great way to go. Why don't we uh, move on? But we want to know what people out there think about in Volo's Wake and the uh, Adventures League Volo's Guide Supplement for Player Races. Hit us up in the show notes for this episode over at thetomeshow.com or at facebook.com slash the tome show i'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast opengamingstore.com opengamingstore.com has an exclusive deal for tome show listeners right now if you go there between now and february 2017 and use the coupon code tome show 2016 you'll get 10 percent off your order my product pick from OpenGamingStore.com for this episode is the Munchkin Holiday Surprise set from Steve Jackson Games. If you've never played Munchkin, it is an awesome board game and it relates to RPGs. You should check it out. This is one you can play with your family around the holidays. They are going to have a blast. Check out Munchkin Holiday Surprise over in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. It's $19.95. And now... Here to tell us all about OpenGamingStore.com is your older sibling's friend who's really cool, but your parents don't like that much. Take it away. Bro, OpenGamingStore.com is amazing. You gotta get on there, man. It's gonna blow your mind. Here's why. You like money? They help you save money. They've got tons of awesome bundled RPG PDFs every single week that you can buy. You like hardcover books? You like cool gaming accessories? You gotta have cool metal dice, right, if you're gonna be cool like me. Well, you can get it all at OpenGamingStore.com and at a discounted price. So check them out, OpenGamingStore.com. Make sure you tell them the Tome Show sent you, man, because if you're not listening to the Tome, we're not cool. All right, now uh, we are going to turn to uh, Unearthed Arcana. So Unearthed Arcana is coming out once a week, and uh, we're definitely going to talk about what that means and what the implications of that are. But first, I want to talk about the specifics of this article, Barbarian Primal Paths. Um, So as always, uh, you know, we should mention that Unearthed Arcana is playtest rules. These are not set in stone. They are free. We encourage everybody to go out and check them out. And then uh, there is a survey that will probably follow later asking you what you think about them, uh, if you played with them, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then you can do your D&D civic duty and vote on what you like in this playtest material. See that? That's a, that's a topical reference for everybody out there that when this podcast launches will no longer be a topical reference. So why don't we talk about this? We've got three new paths, the path of the ancestral guardian the path of the storm herald and the path of the zealot three very interesting paths uh that are all different in their own right you know ancestral guardians is sort of all about uh asking your ancestor spirits for aid path of the storm herald is all about channeling the power of a raging storm and the path of the zealot is uh, like a divine barbarian path almost uh so what do you guys think of these three paths uh which one was your favorite uh which one was your least favorite and we will start with you daniel franco 
I like the Ancestral Guardian because it's a little different. It's more about helping your allies and whatnot. So I think that's kind of cool. It's a little different, especially when you have those players or when you have like a barbarian front line. So it's good to have, I'm the one barbarian that helps everybody. So, <laughs> uh, Right, right. Yeah, normally a barbarian is sort of a whirlwind of destruction that the players let loose, like the Hulk, right? Um, and this kind of is, is more about uh, getting in the game and, and aiding uh, with all of your, your various powers and stuff, which is really cool. Yeah, the only thing that I'm kind of unsure that needs a little more tweaking is a Path of the Zealot. It seems to have abilities that I think, like, mimic some of the other Barbarian, like the the last one, Rage Beyond Death. I'm like, don't they have, doesn't a Barbarian have that one later in level or something? <laughs> and, like, the Warrior of the Gods. You know, I play a lot of adventures. Material components I always kind of hand wave over. So I'm like, oh, they don't need material components to cast on you. Okay. It, but maybe something else or maybe a different bonus probably would have been better. But eh, they're all good. I mean, it's different. I, like I said, I like the Ancestral because it's just different. It's not it's more about teamwork. So. Sure, sure. And I think I think your point about hand-waving components is a good one. That uh, is true of uh, many, many people hand-wave. Just like we don't make players uh, keep track of weight necessarily at every table, we don't make them keep track of their material components at every table. What about you? What did you think, Alex? Uh, what was your favorite path and your least favorite path from here? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I really like the direction of how they're kind of expanding the concept of the Barbarian. They're expanding the role. So, you know, if you stick right with the player's manual, true to form, you know, a lot of the primal paths for Barbarian, they're very inward focused. You know, they make you even more uh, powerful. They make you even more a whirlwind of absolute destruction. Here, we're getting some options for those who want to play Barbarians a slightly different way. So, you know, since this is free, I don't have to worry about spoilers. So, you know, Ancestral Guardian, as as was mentioned, um, this is a little bit more of the teamwork uh, build. So if uh, for those of you, at least back in the 3.5, who were playing uh, Book of uh, Nine Swords, the White Raven School, this kind of reminded me a little bit of that. This is kind of more for co-op play. The Path of the Storm Herald, it kind of turns a lot of the damage potential for barbs a lot of it into a dot into like a damage over time so you get some auras that you can kind of contribute in a different way and i'm kind of with you on the path of the zealot i feel like there the the benefits are not as substantial not as tangible as some of the other paths so uh warrior of the gods you know with the material components that that doesn't necessarily draw me and i'll also say that rage beyond death I've always kind of had a problem with these diehard feet type of abilities where, well, you can kind of stay fighting when you uh, shouldn't otherwise be fighting. That so often in practical play turns out to be a recipe for certain death because if you're up and swinging, monsters are going to treat you accordingly and keep hammering away at you until you are absolutely beyond saving uh, after that, which is, you know, where, um, you know, a lot of the traditional rage abilities for barbarians got so much flack where, yeah, you increase my con score, you increase my HP, but because those aren't the real HPs, I'm actually uh, burning the candle on both ends and I'm surely dead at the end of the fight. So I feel that um, the path of the zealot needs, uh, in my opinion, 
a little something more to make it appetizing in relation to the other three, the other two. Totally. I will say this specifically about Warrior of the Gods underneath Path of the Zealot. They're talking about spells that would restore a barbarian to life. Um, and those spells often have those diamond material components, which I know a lot of DMs do hand wave. But I think some DMs are less likely to uh, to hand wave that kind of stuff. So, I, you know, again, it's not as tangible. I, I totally agree, um, especially since it may be at everybody's table. There, Every player is already getting that benefit. Uh, but at some tables, I, I could see it being more tangible. Although your barbarian, you know, I, I don't know many barbarians who die all that easily. But maybe it will make you... <laughs> More likely to rush headlong into battle if you know that a, a simple resurrection spell is is all that's needed. Your party doesn't need to find that big diamond if that's the kind of thing your DM makes you do. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. It's a uh, it, these are really really fun uh, to see. Um, again, delivering on the Wizards of the Coast promise kind of to expand the story and not just provide options for the sake of providing options, which I think is great. Uh, what do you think, Joe? Uh, what are your thoughts on the new barbarian paths? Uh, so I generally, I, like others have said, I, I think it's great. Uh, it's a great expansion of sort of what the Barbarian is. I think uh, we've seen a little bit of expansion in Barbarian. I know Sword Coast gave us uh, some new animal paths, um, but uh, this is this is this is definitely a much wider expansion of the Barbarian class. I actually I like the Zealot uh, the best, but also see issues with it. I, I just like the flavor of the zealot because i remember uh what was it uh the movie beastmaster when there was that evil god and it had the rager things that would go after him and they had to stop the these crazy raging servants of whatever the evil god was it, it just had a feel like that the uh, the you know you're, you're just going to keep fighting and 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 uh because god tells you to and that was that. That's kind of a neat thing. I wish they had carried it further, though. Like I wish the zealous presence, where you can uh, channel divine power to inspire others. I wish you had to worship the same god. You know, like I wish they turned this into like a story thing where the barbarian was also like trying to get his allies to serve his god or something instead of just allies get this benefit. Uh, because you know, I, I'm I'm into deep story stuff, so I think that would be kind of cool. Uh, but but in general, I I do. Uh, I appreciate any kind of combination of divine influence and and uh, and D and D classes. Uh, the one thing that I was not a big fan of in the Path of the Storm Herald is the math. Um, and I think instead of saying like for the Storm of Fury, you know, any enemy that ends its uh, turn in your aura takes fire damage equal to two plus your barbarian level divided by four. Like <laughs> just just say something like two plus your extra barbarian rage damage, you know, and that would be much easier, you know, or, or, or give us, don't make us add and divide while trying to figure things out because there's, you could, you know, interpret that multiple ways. Where do the parentheses go? Is do you add two to your barbarian level, then divide that total by four, or do you divide your barbarian level by four, then add two to it, you know, just make, make it simpler, make it easier. And, and I think that would, uh, that would make it faster and less less prone to stopping everything at the table while people debate how much damage you're actually doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is true. Uh, especially, 
you know, it, it's ripe for inciting, uh, you know, or, or at the very least provide us with an example if you are going to give us complex math. Uh, Alex. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to add uh, a couple things and, you know, being being around the block as long as I have, what I'm really glad that was just really is paying close attention to is in these new paths, they're doing so far a wonderful job ensuring that the barbarian in any one of these paths isn't stepping on any other class's toes, that it's still making sure that it has its own unique value proposition. It has its unique angle. And we're, we're, we're making sure that everyone kind of stays in their lane as it were, um, that we're still offering, uh, a option that has a lot of flavor for that particular class and also doesn't steal the limelight in any hard way because they're able to replicate or do better than or similar to an option for another class. So really liking that we're making sure that every class has a very unique and special value prop. Yeah, which is important. That is really, really important that each class has its own thing that it does well. I agree. Joe, do you have more to say? Well, the Warrior of the Gods feature where you don't pay the material components well, while barbarians, I think I, I've seen die the least number of times in any adventure in fifth edition <laughs> that I run, you know, in store or not. Yeah, they're hardy folk. They're they're pretty darn hardy. Uh, but uh, I know at least in Adventurers League, that gold piece value of the diamonds matters a heck of a lot. And mm. so uh, having that written in there, if this ever becomes Adventurers League legal, uh, will be a big deal because for those things. You know, if you don't have the gold, you're you're gonna have to. Everybody's gonna have to figure out a way to make that work, or you're gonna have to get faction help, or you're gonna have to, you know. And and that I think uh, is a nice uh, a nice way to get around that uh, for the people that uh, play in formats that require that level of bookkeeping. Sure. Yeah, I think that makes perfect perfect sense. Topher, what about you? What do you think of the good old barbarian paths here? I think it's great. I think, you know, the other smart people in this podcast have hit on all the, all the good parts is the fact that it adds something for it adds to the class. I think it gives a lot of good uh, role playing hooks. I can see the role playing for the ancestor protector, you know, having your player role play who that is and why they would come and help you. I love the storm furies. Why is your barbarian calling down a desert or a sea? What, how is that hook into their background and their story? I think a good DM or could can really can get that out of a player. I think it's not. And the path of the zealot, I think that can go a little crazy. Mm. But I think that uh, if you if you keep that reined in, that could be great because then it adds a level. In my mind, it adds a level to that character that later on, outside of combat, maybe that barbarian is going to react differently to a role playing situation or a a conversation because they are a quote unquote zealot. If right. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, you get your 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 divine rage is is fueled by by god and it really makes for like you know what is what is this person maybe like a weird cultist rather than right, like exactly. a big burly half orc yeah uh, and the funny part is is that when everybody is talking about um spell components the only spell components high hair dms ever care about is the diamond dust <laughs> like because it's such a powerful thing to bring somebody back to life mm-hmm. sure, sure. It, within the game right especially if you're if you're doing adventures league and you're past level five if you're five or higher right that's such a thing. I remember having seen players go, I need to find diamond, I need to find diamond. So that I can see where that that little piece, if you're playing in a game where because it's such powerful, I can see where that could become a thing. But yeah, I'm I'm a love this. I'm a big fan of this, James. I think I think they did a really great job. I can't uh, I hopefully it's one of the things that makes it. <laughs> Joe? 
so another thing I wanted to mention, and jumping off of what Topher said, is that this gives a barbarian ways to be interesting in the party outside of combat. Prior to this, a lot of the barbarian players have just kind of sat there and maybe played on their phone or, or not done a lot uh, when they haven't been in combat scenarios, because a lot of the barbarian class prior to this has been very focused on here's your combat features. And I think this gives a lot of flavor that gives you an identity outside of combat, uh, which is which is a big deal. And another thing that just occurred to me with a warrior of the gods, because I was thinking, well, maybe there'd be a barbarian tribe of these zealot warriors that all worship the same god and all keep get brought in, getting brought back from the dead. And I was thinking of Game of Thrones and those servants of the Lord of Light that keep getting brought back from the dead. And like that, that just it, it kind of maybe that's where that comes from. Maybe that's that's a. Uh, a way to associate with that feature if you need uh, sort of a fantasy equivalent. Yeah, that is true. That is a really, really cool idea. And and I think there's, you know, for all of these, there's different ways now to to into the barbarian, which I think is is great. It's not all Conan style. You know, there's there's other ways to get in there, which is awesome. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about Unearthed Arcana. They announced is going to be coming out more frequently. Sounds like every Monday or or something like that. Uh, they said every Monday, and then um, you know th- this guy dropped. So what I want to know is, let's do just a little speculating. Um, I think it's pretty obvious that uh, that they probably are doing this because they want to speed up playtesting and feedback because maybe they're going to put out some crunchy book, maybe filled with, with player options or, or that kind of thing, or maybe they're going to put out a bunch of supplements with upcoming adventures. You know, they'll, they'll put out some sort of Sword Coast Adventures guide or Volo's guide with each adventure now as it comes out for a little while or something like that. What do you guys think is going to uh, to come of all of this stuff? And, uh, you know, I, I think it's sort of, we, we know that Wizards wanted a very slow release schedule. We know we were only seeing one Unearthed Arcana a month uh, before this, uh, sometimes not even that. Uh, so what do you think, Alex? Well, speculate with me. What do you think that this means? What's going to be, what are we going to see as a result of all these Unearthed Arcana stuff? I think it's um, um, from a business standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, I think it's a great move. Um, they really want to make sure that they keep the community active, whether that's in helping them play test material, that's simply re- releasing material. So there's always some fresh stuff to look into when it comes to really pushing their Adventures League initiative. I think it's a smart move, especially when you see what some of the other competitors are doing in the space where they're trying to get more and more aggressive with release schedules. Wizards is still trying to come and say, look, um, we're also always have something fresh and uh, something uh, interesting for you guys to read up on. Keeps the community engaged. It keeps them in the stores and it keeps them playing. So as far as what we'd see, my guess is we're going to see a lot of stuff like this. We're going to see an ever-growing uh, list of uh, new material, new uh, options for uh, both uh, DMs and players. But I got to tell you, though, this early on, one of the things, I mean, it's it's too early to worry about it. But you kind of worry about scope creep or feature creep. You're kind of worried about that uh, if if they really go very aggressive on on new material like this, um, are they going to eventually start you know cross you know having cra- classes cross into each other? What exactly do they have planned for the first year or so on such an aggressive schedule, making sure that everyone kind of has every class, every monster, every aspect really has its own specific value prop? But I know I I think it's a great way to keep the community lively, to just keep it active, um, both with each other and the publisher itself. 
Yeah, totally. From a marketing standpoint, this is a great thing. I could not agree with you more. Joe Lestowski, how about you? What do you think? Well, I mean, it's I, I'm of two minds on this. I love getting more D&D content, and that's that's fantastic. But I also lived through all, all of 3rd edition and 3.5, and I saw what too much D&D content can do. Uh, and so I, I think I, I share some of that trepidation about... Uh, whether we'll start to see overlap from one class into another, or whether we'll start to see power creep. Uh, but I think if they're all of the level that this barbarian one was, I think there, there was a lot of thought put into this and a lot of measured thought about, well, where, where, is the, where is the balance on this? Where's the line on this? Where do we stop that? And I think if they're all in that, in that same vein, uh, I think uh, it's, it's going to lead to some, some good stuff. And like I said, you can't, really complain about having more content it's like when when a when a barnes and noble moves into the the neighborhood and people complain oh they're going to put the local bookstores out of business but at the same time you're getting more books and so can you really complain about having more books in the area yeah can you really complain about having more books i think is a great one and i think wizards has done a good job of establishing you know our intent is the core rule books plus one other book. You know, we, we don't intend necessarily for you to use all of these things, and we acknowledge that that could break the game. Is is I think a, a good one to help control power creep as well. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the 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 standard thought is you know the core books plus one, but it's really hard to deny a player when they're coming to your game, they're coming to the table, a new book is fresh off the press, it goes, hey, I'd, I'd really like to add this stuff. But I just it, it really resonated with what Joe said, you know, towards the tail end of three point five. Hmm. Um, it felt like it felt like we were really kind of becoming the victim of really tight production schedules where they just had to release something a month and uh, there just wasn't as much time spent. We saw we saw a lot of power creep. I mean, uh, you know, you want to talk about uh, you know, power creep. We had uh, the the Book of Nine Swords, which was well, anyway. <laughs> uh, there was some power creep. There were there were classes overlapping, um, and when you look at, for example, Tome of Magic, I mean that was quite literally an incomplete book. The True Namer was unplayable uh, right from <laughs> as as it was right from the book. So that's and and I, I want to thank Joe for helping me articulate what I was trying to say. Is that trepidation is there? So here we are saying, well, you know, we're going to give you something every week. That's great, but. You know, and, and we're still really early in the cycle. There's a lot to go through, but how long is that going to go before we, we, you know, we're going to be in a similar uh, situation that we were before? Totally, and I think people, you know, we've talked about it a lot on this show before, are, are very cautious of the the power creep. People like kind of how flexible Fifth Edition is at its core already. You can already make a, a lot of the characters that you want, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. So it'll be interesting, especially because a lot of the books we've seen that have player options, uh, like Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, there's still um, a ton of flavor and fluff, and the mechanics options are maybe only a third of that actual book. You know, Volo's Guide gives you a bunch of new races, but that's it. They're not really throwing feats and, and all kinds of other stuff at you, which I think is is great. Uh, what about you, Topher? What do you think about uh about all the unearthed arcana articles coming out what is sort of your your thought about what this could lead to we're getting a new book <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's the bottom line it's been mm-hmm. the players the players handbook launched on august 19 2014 mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in 2017 we're going to get a new hardbound rules book mm. 
it's going to be an addition. It's going to be uh, uh, adding to. They've always said that there would be more rules books or more rules oriented books. Whether it's going to be a player book or a DM book, I, I, that's a that's a I, I I don't know. But that's really what I think this is leading to, and I think them ramping up on Earth Arcana says that that mandate has come from on high or internally they realize this needs to happen sooner than later. So they want to get this stuff out and get feedback and get play testing done. I would love to see numbers. And I'm sure they have these numbers of how many people are actually using the unearth arcana in their home games. And they're not adventurers league games. Mm-hmm. Cause I bet you that number is relatively high. Mm. Cause there's this stuff is, you know, but it's not like when you're doing true play testing and you're getting things that just aren't working. Uh, that this stuff is re- relatively well thought out. I think that play, uh, the p- people are using it. I, I really do think that in the next six to ten months, we're going to get another "quote unquote" major release book for fifth edition. Right, and I think that's pretty a fantastic. I think it's a good enough time scale now. If it's if it's another player's handbook kind of thing, I don't know if you want to call it player handbook two, or they'll have some really great name for it. Uh, but a book that it isn't an adventure that is tied to a specific monster or a book that isn't a DM's only book, I think is coming down the pike. And I think that's what this is showing us is that they are a thinking it through because the things will be more play tested and better to play. But mm-hmm. I think it, that that's where we're going. Yeah. I think that that definitely makes sense. And I think it, my, my guess is it'll be an unearthed arcana book like that, that we're going to call it that. And it will be similar to unearthed arcana books of old and have player options and, and probably some DM options and stuff like that. And it'll be a hodgepodge of new rules and, and modules that you can, you know, rules modules you can put in and stuff. Uh, but we'll see. I think that, Sword Coast Adventures Guide was a good step that way. I think mm-hmm. the, the next one's going to be more like a player handbook kind of book. I just want to make sure that when listeners later, we don't get somebody saying, well, the Sword Coast Adventures, Dofer, you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. I mean, they say that anyways about me, but let's be clear. Oh. <laughs> well, they say that about Topher Cohen, but not That's Topher true. Cohan. You know what I'm That's saying? True fact. True fact. True fact. <laughs> uh, Daniel Franco. Bring us home, man. What do you think we are going to uh, get out of a, a book with all of this material? Well, I won't speculate, but I have a wish and a thing. I think we're going to get power creep eventually. Mm-hmm. That's That will happen. I mean, it's just more of how is the process going to go? Is it going to be like some yellow? Just, here's a bunch of books. Fit our schedule. Worry about balance. Who cares? Buy it. Or just the thoughtful approach has been going on. I It'll eventually happen. Hell, right now we got multi-class stupid combinations that are, I hit you. Well, I'm a rogue and a barbarian, so I half it. And I use my uncanny dodge, so I take two points of damage. Okay, you know. So it's going to happen. It's just the, how it's going to happen. I do wish that there were more. I know for Adventures League, there's, you can run playtest games. And I know that'd be good just because all I really do is Adventures League. So all this cool Unearthed Arcana, it's a cool article. Can you play it? No. Or I'll run to Hey, uh, there's this cool uh, tiefling variation. Can I play it for this world? Nope. Uh, because it's Unearthed Arcana. So some like occasional, like a slot, uh, you know, just hey, a play test section of this and you can play this or that would be really good just because it'll, we'll get more feedback for wizards and actually give a chance for the Adventures League to actually get a hold of it and do their own playtesting on it. 
Yeah, I see what you're saying. Well, I think we are going to have to leave it there, gentlemen. Before we go, Joe Lestowski, where can people find you? Uh, well, uh, every so often you'll find me at uh, Modern Myths, Comics, and Games in Northampton, Massachusetts, uh, running D&D, or at the very least providing minis and maps and things for the other folks that are running D&D. Uh, I'm kind of stepping back from the table stuff and doing... Uh, more organization type things uh, there, but but you st- I still live there at the store, so that's that's the best place to find me, or uh, on Twitter at Joe Listowski. Nice, nice. And Topher Cohan, where can people find you? Um, they can find me every Wednesday night at Titan Games and Comics in Smyrna, Georgia, running Adventures League. I'm also there some Saturday nights running uh, Adventures League, and first Sunday of every month doing Adventures League. Uh, or just come on in because I'm probably running some other game there. Uh, if outside of that, you can find me on the Twitters at Topher ATL T O P H E R. ATL or on the Facebook at Topher, also at Topher ATL or Topher Cohen, T-O-P-H-E-R-K-O-H-A-N. Come say hi and tell me how incredibly wrong or please, please tell me how right I am. <laughs> and Dan Franco, where can people find you? Uh, well, I'm on Facebook at Daniel Franco and I have a Twitter. It's Daniel F and then random numbers, which I just not even going to try to bother to change the name on that. <laughs> so, and, um, I also at Armored Go for Games in Champaign, Illinois. I on occasionally there do the um, encounters. There you go. And for people wondering, it is Daniel F zero zero one four six four three four, and we will link that, of course, over in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. What is that? Like your bank account number or something? I, I just did it when Twitter. I, I think I just randomly did it, and I didn't even think about um, personalizing it because it was for encounters when they had the Twitter thing of like hey if you're playing this kind of right now uh, oh yeah I forgot all about that you know here's a tweet everyone gets this or that and it was like cool and I didn't even think about it afterwards so I'm like now it kind of comes back and what's your Twitter handle Uh, it's got numbers in it man I'll I'll send you a link (laughs) so when you formed it you were like this Twitter thing's never taken off I, uh, I just didn't. It was just like, sure, something for you know encounters that I ran for fourth. So gotcha, gotcha. And uh, and Alex, where can people find you? Oh boy. Uh, so Twitter, you can look at me. Look for me at uh, Soul Collector XX. Uh, also, of course, Battle Bards. Uh, that's something we monitor quite a bit on Facebook. And my name, Alex Charzbinski. Of course, also Battle Bards. Uh, again, I'm still looking to kind of get back to my hobby store and be a regular, but until, uh, we absolutely dominate the uh, audio PC gaming market, that's going to be a little while. So send me a tweet. Let me know how we're doing. Uh, love getting suggestions for new monsters, new music, new sound effects that's needed. Maybe we need to go through the whole player's manual and make sure that we have a sound effect for each and every spell. Let me know what you guys want and it shall be done. We will add it to our list. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you all come back uh, and and join me on the roundtable again. Gentlemen, it has been a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Now it is time for a great interview with Randy Aiken, who is a game designer. He's got his first project on Kickstarter uh, called Of Drow Origin. He's been playtesting it forever. Uh, it's super, super fun. Jeff Greiner actually had a chance to play D&D with this guy at Gen Con and said it was amazing. Uh, after talking to Randy, I can't pl- wait to play with him. Before we get to the interview, 
interview, I just want to do a quick shout out to Mario Sagia. He is the illustrator of Of Drow Origin, and he is amazing. We are remiss, Randy and I, because we forgot to mention him in this podcast. So I'm mentioning him right now because, Mario, your work is really, really cool. Everybody, go check it out. And here's an interview with a great dude about the process of game design in general. It is amazing. Check out. Mario and his super original D&D module of Drow Origin. All right, everybody. Now I'm here with the one and only game designer, Randy Aitken. Randy, welcome to the roundtable. It is a pleasure to have you here, my man. Thank you. It's uh, awesome to be here. Cool, cool. Well, I want to talk all about your Kickstarter of Drow Origin with you. It sounds like a really, really cool module. But uh, first, I want to talk a little bit about you and Gen Con, because at Gen Con, you played a lot of D&D with Tome Show founder, owner, and amazing dude, Jeff Greiner. I did. It was uh, it was an awesome game. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun to be in with him. Nice, nice. And hopefully Tome fans will be hearing that soon. I know Jeff recorded your games, right? So they might be hearing your voice actually show up uh, as a character on those podcasts. Uh, it'll be like an, a little actual play from Gen Con, which is really cool. What was the name of your character and what did you play? My Adventure League character that I play is Delph. Um, I, I refer to him as Delph the Great in terms of 5th edition D&D. He's, his background is as an entertainer. Nice. But I play him as a sorcerer, so he, he really hypes up the accidental hero, but he is by far an entertainer. That is that is what he, he goes as uh, in the game. Uh, are we saying a chaos sorcerer? Is that what we're looking at here? Well, he is rather chaotic. He is a wild magic sorcerer. Yes. He believes that, uh, that, that all magic actually comes from the words that you speak. And um, every spell he casts in um, every game that I have played, I have made a rhyme situational uh, for, uh, appropriate for, for that uh, spell. That's super fun. That's super duper fun, man. That's awesome. Well, that's just a glimpse into the creative mind of Randy here, because we are going to talk all about Of Drow Origin, uh, which is your module that you're putting out for 5th edition D&D, right? Yeah, it is. Um, I actually designed this well before 5th edition was named 5th edition. Uh, we were, uh, it was uh, before it was, when it was... Just the uh, playtest rules, I, uh, I had a home group, and my home group, half my group wasn't going to be there, and I needed something to play that day, so I, I threw together this, this little t- tiny uh, one-shot adventure for it, for them, and the group had fun. Um, it was only two people at the time, uh, three people, sorry, and it but it needed improvement. I, I went to work the next day and I was thinking all about it. I'm like, man, I could do this and that and the other thing. And soon it developed into this uh, seven or eight player game that I wound up taking to Gen Con and playing with uh, another podcast group uh, at Gen Con. Nice, nice. Uh, well, you want to give a shout out to that podcast group? Uh, we're all Absolutely. friends. Um, the, the RPG Academy with Michael Ross is, uh, yes. is an awesome podcast. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, he is amazing. I got to play a game with him at Gen Con uh, as well. So, and a couple of the guys from Total Party Thrill, Rich Howard, ran for us. Uh, yeah, it was awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about Of Drow Origin. Um, you know, what makes this a module that you felt you needed to, you know, bring out to the world at large? Of Drow Origin is, is different in many uh, respects to any module that I've ever played in. Um, I... I will tell you that I love playing in the Adventure League games uh, because uh, the um, I get to play Delph. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I really like homebrew games. I think that the creative minds of individuals that, that just want to bring their product out and, and say, hey, here I am, is, is really um, a lot of where D&D is for me. And Updraw Origin does that in a, in a different way than most. A lot of games you'll play, whether it's um, fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons or Savage Worlds or any other um, system. A lot of it is the DM creates a scenario where its um, players have to overcome some adversity that the DM puts forth for them, and um, it's where the the gameplay isn't necessarily player versus DM. It's it could be player versus environment or player versus something that that the DM has created for them. Um, of Draw Origin takes all that adversity and divides it up into character backgrounds. So this module has nine core characters in it, each of which has a background story less than a page long, but that background story is chock full of information about the situation, what they know, what they don't know. And it doesn't tell them what they don't know, um, but it tells them that there's, there's more to the uh, the scenario that they need to go discover. And um, a single event that may have been experienced by more than one character may not be perceived the same way, which creates the conflict between characters. Of Drow Origin is and ultimately does resolve into a player versus player module. That's what makes it extraordinarily different than most modules, which have characters working together. That is pretty freaking cool. So you you basically you give the characters these uh, these sheets that let them know like, hey, this is what you know, and this is an event you experienced, and somebody else across from you might have experienced the same event in a different way. Um, is there any uh, example of that you can give without being too spoilery? Yeah. Um, so uh, the um, let's just start off by saying it's of Drow origin. So matron mother um, has learned that something um, of her house of very important um, nature has, has gone missing and she tells her oldest daughter to go find it. So from that perspective, the matron mother is not in this, but the oldest daughter is, um, is the lead of the drow party that is coming to go acquire this thing. Melistra, that daughter, she knows that this thing that they that she needs to acquire is uh, basically if she doesn't get it back, she's not going to ever become the ruler of of this um, house. So it's it's ultimately important to her to have this this thing. Matron mother tells another person that's in this draw party. Well, that thing that that Melistra is going to get is indeed important. And it is ultimately the reason that you're going on this raid. But there might be another thing that I don't want her to know about yet because I'm not positive if it's really there. So I need you to make sure that that other thing also comes back and that Melistra doesn't know about it. 
So giving two different characters information um, about the event so that they they come at it with a different angle or motivation when they when they begin the adventure. Gotcha. And do so do the characters play drow? Is that the idea? Four of the core characters are drow. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the drow are, are coming to acquire this thing and they find themselves interrupting a wedding reception uh, in, a, in a human settlement. So the other players are playing humans. So you are giving, like we said, you know, you're, you're giving the characters to the players. Uh, what was the idea behind that that you're thinking was like, you know, um, rather than uh, what I think a traditional sort of D&D game would be like, you come with your character and we will fit it into the story. Why was it important to you that every these specific characters be the ones who go through this adventure? In a lot of the adventures that we play, like you mentioned, the uh, where you come with your character... I find that the thing that's lacking in a lot of this is the element of role play. I can come with my with Delph into an adventure league game and my element that I'm adding, my role play element that I'm adding to this game is the, the rhyming that I do with all of my all of my magic. That's a fun little quirk that can be enjoyed by everyone at the table, but other characters that might have Oh, I'm a barbarian who always, you know, who has this this long tragic history. Most people at the table don't really take anything from that. It's important to you as the player with that history, but you, the other players at the table really aren't experiencing your history or why it's important to them or anything. So it often ends up as independent histories all just happening to be in this one situation together. I wanted to bring an element of role play to a convention setting where we can actually have real story role play. Fifth edition rules made it real easy to um, to bring it in and, and make it rules light. But I very much see this game uh, adaptable um, to many other game systems that, that are story based games. Gotcha. So are you, you see this uh, beyond fifth edition then you see this going into some other directions. Yeah, I don't have a ton of experience with the other games. I've been a D&D gamer since, mm, I don't know, a long time. I don't want to date myself, but I played second edition. That was what I grew up on, the Dragonlance uh, box set. So um, I, I only know D&D really at the core, um, but I've experienced enough of it, uh, especially listening to the RPG Academy and other podcasts that, that do and show off other game systems and how they play, I've experienced enough of it tangentially that I know that this is very adaptable to those other systems. So let me ask you uh, this question then. Uh, If you are are looking at this thing, how long do you think this module is? Like uh, if you had to say in fifth edition terms, it goes from level X to level Y, what would that be? It's not a module that that plays over time. It's actually a one-shot game. Uh, that's what makes it, it. It is intended to be a convention or party game. I've run this for four, three years now um, at Gen Con, Gary Con, Game Hole Con. Um, I've run it for bachelor parties, birthday parties. I ran it for board show. Uh, what is that? Uh, board game, tabletop game day at, at uh, game stores. It is a one. Sh- it is designed as a one shot game, but it is incredibly fun to both run and play. In terms of levels, um, we have one character who's level 11 and another character who's level 2. 
the the power levels in the game aren't as important as one would think when you know oh i need to go defeat this dragon this dragon's a cr9 so i need my characters to be x it's the power levels aren't aren't all about defeating this enemy or that enemy it's really more about the social aspect and storytelling that that makes the game incredibly fun and so about how long then if this is meant to be run as a one shot about how long does it play at a convention four hours two hours what do you think I have played it as a, a four-hour. It is. I schedule it as a four-hour uh, game at conventions. Um, at parties, I will introduce some of the variants and whatnot that'll allow it to go longer if I need it to be. Um, forcing myself to write it into a module that was uh, that I can actually hand to another DM to write. I I had to. Um, sort of put some of those variants down on paper and you can speed up the game a little bit, maybe making it a three hour game. Um, but it, it, four hours is a good, a good time slot for it. Nice. Nice. So what do people get then, uh, when they, when they contribute to this Kickstarter, let's, let's talk a little bit about the rewards people get if they're interested in this module. Yeah, so the um, Kickstarter is going to have a few uh, reward tiers um, specific to the module. Um, and the, the first is just going to be a digital reward. You can do a digital download um, of the module itself. Uh, the next would be a physical reward tier, which includes the, the printed version of the module. I actually thought about this Kickstarter in larger terms. What else can I do with this module beyond just the fun, awesome story that it is? Um, and I thought, you know, when a, when a DM has a book and I've, I've backed plenty of Kickstarters that I've done this myself and, and this, uh, the book has the character in it, I need to now make a photocopy of the book in order to hand it to my player in order so that they could play their character. So one of the improvements or, or additions to the, the, um, Kickstarter I have is I've actually printed all the characters on uh, cardstock so that uh, the character front and back has you know, your stats and your role play. Um, this also makes it super easily adaptable to other systems if we do transfer it into other systems. This way you've got your role play all on one sheet. It doesn't matter what game system it is. That role play is still exactly the same. And then just the, just the front needs to be redesigned for the system. Um, in addition, I've designed um, item cards. Um, there's a few unique items for this situation. And not because they're the drawer interrupting a, a wedding reception, those people, the, the humans, uh, they aren't armed. So they, they weren't expecting trouble necessarily, not all of them maybe. Um, so they don't have arms or armor, but that doesn't mean that they don't have it available to them. So by making the item cards, it allows me as the DM to, to hold back some of the information about what they could have until they go seek it out themselves. It's a home. So he knows. So the, the Lord of the Manor knows what's in his home. But if he doesn't make his way to go get those things, I don't need to go include those on his character sheet. He doesn't need to have those available and think that, oh, these are the resources that I can use whenever I want. So that, that, that's the module item cards and the, uh, the character profile uh, cards as well. In addition, I was designing this uh, with the intention that uh, it could also be released into virtual tabletop. So I had Sorn Manor, which is the, the setting in which this um, takes place, created as a very large format map. Um, it was created as a, a four foot by six foot um, 300 DPI map um, by a, a wonderful artist, Tom Fayen. He did a great job. And 
so in its digital form, I've got that, you know, available for delivery, you know, in full resolution. Uh, but I have also worked with um, Mats by Mars. They do uh, maths for critical hit. They've actually printed it on vinyl. And uh, I've got a prototype of that that I brought to Gen Con this year. And it is beautiful. Wow. So it sounds like there's a lot of great art resources that come with this in addition to it having, you know, being a great adventure. Is your intent that people will bring this to cons and game stores and, you know, um, post on uh, Roll20 message boards and Fantasy Grounds and D20 Pro message boards about like, hey, we're going to play this game tonight. Who is in? Yes, absolutely. Because it's such a uh, it's a one-shot adventure. It's perfect for those groups that just want to say, hey, I want to do this. Who who do I have that's available tonight? Um, I don't have to have a lot of planning. You know, you know, you don't, you don't need a lot of uh, adventure planning or anything. This is a pick-up-and-go module. The DM just needs to read through it, understand what the motivations of the characters are, and go. Uh, the role of the DM in this situation is actually more of a chaos maker than uh, an adversary or, or even storyteller because a lot of the storytelling happens by the characters on the fly as they progress and interact with one another. It sounds like you really have been trying to to maybe rethink the way we play a lot of D&D games, you know, changing the role of the DM like you just talked about, uh, providing pre-generated characters that have a deep backstory that goes right along with this adventure. I think it's a thing you see in a lot of other role-playing games. You don't necessarily see that in D&D so much, and I love it. I think that's awesome, and I think it's a great way for people to experience D&D, you know? Um, and there's no reason you can't play it this way. What sort of, what's the impetus behind that? Were you, uh, you know, you said you've played D&D for a long time. What made you sort of want to want to bend the world of, of D&D this way and, and play the game this way? Back in the day, um, when I was playing D&D, um, AD&D, I don't think that I, I thought of power characters or anything. I, I was a teenager at that point. Uh, my friends and I would make these grand adventures with these, you know, characters that had all these awesome backstories. And I, we, we would play them for years. And then the characters would have their epic ending and then we would start a new character. Um, characters aren't disposable. And I feel like you know, some of what I've seen in, in modern or more recent D&D is a feeling that characters outside of home games are just that disposable. And I, I really feel like if, if you are connected with your character, then you have more buy-in to the story. So by providing a, a deeper background, I, I feel like I, I'm helping you create that connection to the character. And when you have that connection to the character, one of the characters in, in this game is a grandfather and another one is the granddaughter. When the granddaughter finds themselves in trouble, that grandfather isn't just a, an older man who says, oh, that little girl is in trouble. He, because of the background, because of their connection, actually has some reason, motivation to say, wow, this is very important to me that I have to make a choice between this and that. And, and I, I might have to sacrifice something that's important to me for something else that's more important to me. And I, and I want that emotional connection to be in the game more so than disposable characters. Yeah, I think that's really great. Um, you know, I think, uh, like I said, I think a lot of systems do that. 
if you look at the Knights Black Agents uh, pre-gens, they sort of have all of these connections to each other. Fate encourages that when you're building right at the beginning of the game. So uh, I'm really, really excited to see this. Uh, I really hope that uh, I hope that I get to actually see you at a convention sometime and play this game with you. I think that would be really fun. Uh, and I am excited to run it for other people as well. So if people want to find out more about Of Drow Origin, where should they go and what should they do? Yeah, the best way to find out uh, the latest news on Of Draw Origin is to find me on um, Facebook. Distracted Mind Games is uh, the Facebook that I run to, you know, my intention is if this goes well, um, and I've actually got another idea that I want to talk about in a moment uh, with this, then I would release more uh, of these type of adventures that are convention-ready with characters that, that you care about uh, seeing um, continue on in a story. I don't know that it would be related necessarily in, in a string of stories based on the way this goes, uh, the, the story goes, I mean, um, but certainly this type of adventure where you're real connected to your character. So Distracted Mind Games on Facebook. Nice, nice. Yeah, people should check that out. And uh, so what were you saying? It sounds like there's something else maybe on the horizon uh, if this Kickstarter is successful. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so part two of this Kickstarter is going to be bringing... Um, some of the physical characters to life. Um, you know, in, in your D&D setting where you've got your, your Adventure League game, whatever, you, you, everyone brings their own character to the game. Since I already know who the nine pre-generated characters are, I went and had some conversations with some of the top sculptors that, uh, that Reaper uses, Bobby Jackson, Micah Nichols, Patrick Keith. Uh, Patrick wasn't able to actually do any of the sculpts, but he's been a great advisor for me in, in terms of how to use Kickstarter and what, you know, backer kit and whatnot. But Bobby Jackson's done uh, two of the sculpts already. Uh, Michael Nichols has done four of them. I've got nine characters, so we'll, you know, it's just a matter of uh, getting the funding in order to, to finish that off. Wow, that's huge. That is really, really cool. So people can have miniatures of the actual characters in the adventure, which is super, super fun. Uh, so let me ask you this then. Is there a way that, sh say somebody did want to play this in their home game or bring the adventure as a, a starting off point, uh, is there a way to continue the adventure after people have played it? That's a tough one because the adventure itself the, the end of every game that I have played is different. That's another gorgeous thing about the way that this is written. Um, some of the, the, because of the ambiguity of the background, every character decides how they want to interpret some of the facts that are in their character. And then how they use those facts in the game um, is going to be different than how that, how another player played that same character in another game. And the ending of the game I can't write an epilogue for because every game ends differently. Therefore, I can't make another game because I don't know how the last one ended. But somebody could, uh, you know, a crafty DM could allow people to continue with their characters if it ended in such a way. Absolutely. That, which yeah. Is the, great. The, yep. Wow. Wow. That's really cool. It's really awesome that it's never ended the same way for you when you've played it. <laughs> Four uh, years later, and I'm st and this Gen Con, I still had, oh, wow, that's a first. I've never had anyone do that before. And, it, yeah, I've played this game dozens of times. Uh, that's the beauty of not just role-playing games, but well-written modules. That's really, really, really cool. Well, I hope this is, uh, is a success for you, and I hope that you, uh, you get to make those minis, and then people 
Well, have a good impetus to continue on, right? If they have those minis, like, hey, let's keep going. Want to want to keep looking at these beautiful minis, which is great. If people want to uh, want to get in touch with you, you obviously you have your your Facebook page for your company. Is there some other place people should go if they want to get in touch with you? Distracted Mind Games is probably the best way, but uh, I have an email. Anyone can email me, uh, Maverick76 at Hotmail. Um, M-A-V-R-Y-K 76 at Hotmail.com. Well, uh, Randy, thank you so much for coming on the roundtable today. Thanks for having me today. All right, everybody, my product pick for the Dungeon Masters Guild for this episode is the custom deck of many things from Jason Smith. This pay-what-you-want product gives you art to print out for the deck of many things. Uh, It's all hand-drawn, all amazing black-and-white art that you should check out. It's pay-what-you-want, so what do you have to lose? You could download it for free and then buy it again, and this time pay for it once you decide what it is worth if you want to do that, although I like giving a contribution up front. I think that's a great way to do it. Check out the custom deck of many things by Jason Smith. There is a direct link to this product in the show notes at thetomeshow.com. All right, everybody, you can find me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age, the 5th edition D&D world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. There's tons of free resources for your D&D 5e games over there. I'm talking about... All kinds of great magic items, monsters, adventures, all for free, all made by me. Go check it out. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or the DM skill to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.